Hello, and welcome to the Niche Podcast for Friday, September 7th, 2012. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere. This week, we'll warm up with responsive web design, JavaScript media queries, and smart carpet before diving into our main topic, which is Apple. How to learn Objective-C in a long weekend, the awesomeness of Xcode, and why iOS will never be a dominant software platform. Stay tuned, the Niche Podcast is next. Hello? Hello. Oh, let me fix my mic. Let's try that again. Hello. Hello. So, wow, how was your long weekend? Uh, it was good. I did absolutely no work. <laughs> nice. Sounds like yeah. the uh, that site went up. I I checked it out. It looks amazing. Oh, thank you. Yes, it went up. Uh, it went up Friday, and then yesterday I went back and fixed a couple of minor little little outstanding things. And I think there's still there's still probably a, th- a couple of tiny things to do to it, but for the most part, yeah, it's it's done. Mm, cool. Yeah, it looks really good. People should check it out. What's the name of it? I forget. It's Bar- how do you say it? Uh, I think it's pronounced Barreau, but that's not how it's spelled. So yeah. it's it's we'll, we'll have to link to it in the show notes. Yeah, it's really nice, clean, but rich design that uh, scales down real nicely. Yeah, thank you. I had had um, ended up deviating a little bit from from the initial uh, mockups for the the 320 pixel version because tap targets were just getting too small and what have you mm-hmm. so but um anything 460 and up I mean, I mean i mean it still it still works with the smaller sizes too it's just not exactly how we would have would have liked it initially but it but 460 and up you know um and actually that brings up a couple of interesting points um i don't know if, if you've looked at it or on mobile or not but the, the 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 content that's in the sidebar on mobile it becomes quite different. I saw that the sidebar um, popped out of view. I assumed it went down to the bottom, but I didn't check it out. Yeah, it, it goes down to the bottom, and the format changes quite a bit. And um, actually, what I ended up doing there instead of instead of just using media queries to rearrange the sidebar, I went with JavaScript. When the page resizes, I just apply a completely different class name to it and just completely restyle the sidebar. Mm-hmm. And that seemed much easier than trying to manipulate it with media queries. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, because it was, I mean, the, the design of the sidebar content between the two sizes is vastly different. So, oh, was, so, yeah. so are you actually rewriting the DOM? Uh, no, I'm just, I'm just adding a, adding and removing a class name. That's all I'm doing. Huh. The markup, the markup stays the same, but the, the layout of it. The, the, that gets applied with CSS is quite different between the two. Right. And I, yeah, I probably could have done it with a media query, but this just seemed, it, it felt cleaner. Yeah. To separate the two out completely. Yeah. It's like, I think I mentioned in a previous episode, um, I saw Dave Canada at a conference uh, last year and he was sort of preaching to the, the a crowd of responsive web design people. And he was like, I know y'all hate JavaScript, but it's not evil, and <laughs> it's there, so use it. Yeah. Because um, there is a sort of, uh, you do see a kind of, um, I don't want to say a trend, but a, a uh, desire from like a, a pure front-end web designer um, to keep everything in the media queries, which does make sense because you know, mm-hmm. if you're not a JavaScript person and it's a design thing, then you kind of like to keep it out of the JavaScript, but you know, a little snippet here and there is not going to kill anybody. Yeah, actually, I found an interesting, interesting JavaScript yesterday, and I wish I'd saved the link to it. I have to go back and find it again. I don't even remember the name, but it allows you basically lets you write JavaScript that will re- respond to the same kind of same kind of breakpoints and what have you that that media queries do. You can define different, you know, def- define your your max screen width or min screen width or what. And it will execute JavaScript that's, you know, sort of that's um, you know, allocated for that particular screen resolution. Cool. So, like, as it crosses each each breakpoint. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's it's like media queries for JavaScript. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
It's I'll have to yeah, I'll have to dig up the link to it so we can put it in the show notes. Cool. Excellent. So this long weekend and a little bit before that, I uh spent watching the um Stanford University iOS programming course on iTunes U, which I have to say is the is of the many iOS programming resources I've looked at, like the Big Nerd Ranch stuff and uh, and programming for Mac, all that stuff. And nothing ever stuck. I always was left with paralyzing questions unanswered. Uh, this video series kicks butt. It's uh, if if you must learn Objective C and Xcode, you should check out the Stanford U videos. Yeah, because you had you have to learn a little bit of it for that uh, one of the projects we're working on, don't you? For the camera. Yeah, <clears throat> yep. There's a uh, got this phone gap project that um, has a you know it's going to be it's all really pretty straightforward web programming stuff, you know, lists and uh, forms and that sort of thing, uh, except for some screens where you have to capture um, video. And the design calls for the video capture to kind of, you know, the preview and the video capture to happen in like uh, on an iPad in a in a sort of sub window of, of the overall view. And there's you can actually do it with PhoneGap, but uh, the the frame rate's probably too slow to be reasonable. And and the experience, the normal PhoneGap camera experience also works, uh, but it it's not the greatest user interface for the situation because if you you know you say uh get media or capture media and it pulls up the regular um camera app in the ipad and it you can't at least i haven't figured out yet how to uh customize that experience from phone gap i'm sure you can't so things like the the front facing camera is is uh it doesn't remember your camera selection so if you so the camera's always the back facing camera and if so you have to switch it every time. And this is for recording lots of short videos in an in a ongoing session. So it's just not the greatest experience. Uh, so anyway, yeah. So I got to do a, uh, at least one native screen. I'm actually thinking about flirting with the idea, which I'll probably not do, of making the whole thing a native app. Yeah, just, I wondered about that. Yeah, I mean, I know I'll regret it if I do that. And it'll probably take way longer. And I also would like the thing to work um, more or less as a website. Uh, the video stuff obviously won't work, but we could fix that with, uh, you know, we could work around that on the web. Yeah. With like emailing videos. But uh, so I, it would be nice, but it's kind of like it, it is a sprawling application with over 100 screens. So it would be it would be a lot of work. Yeah, it just it turned out to be much larger than we than we thought going into it, I think. Mm hmm. So it was cool though because the last time I looked at uh, Xcode and all that stuff with any seriousness was right after it was originally announced. Uh, I was all excited about it. I had my new iPhone and I wanted to build apps that would run on it. And like a lot of web developers, I was quickly disillusioned by the BS surrounding the code signing. Uh, even for even for a to to do development, you have to have. Uh, go through this complex process of, of creating uh, signature files. And it's, I still, I've done it probably, uh, you know, I've done it dozens of times now and I still have to look at the documentation every single time, every time, you know, every year they expire and you have to go do it again. I'm like, how the hell does that work? I like go to my own yeah. book and I follow the instructions in my own book to like, you know, <laughs> go through and figure it out. So that, that was very disillusioning. And the other thing was that, Objective C is like unreadable to somebody that's familiar with like a JavaScript uh, or Java or PHP style syntax. Yeah, it doesn't even really look like C. <laughs> no, in in fact, it uh, I think it that's on purpose so that you can freely mix C and Objective C in the same files. Oh yeah. Because Objective <clears throat> C is like it's basically just a superset of just a it's a superset of C that is object oriented. Mm -hmm. And it's the syntax is painfully clever once you figure out what everything means. Uh, like the 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 method call syntax is just 
it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm sorry. Sorry for our Objective-C fans in the crowd. I'm sure you love it. And if I get got used to it, I would love it too. But supposedly, you know, they they made it so that the uh, the function names would be human readable, which is a which is a, a goal that I strive for as well. I think it's important for things to be human readable. But the way they but do it, ridiculous. yeah, it's ridiculous. Like the way they do it is they interleave the parameters into the function name itself. So there's like normally with a, a function you'd have like in JavaScript, let's say you'd have, uh, assuming it's not an anonymous function, you'd have uh, like a variable, you know, an identifier. So the name of the function and then parentheses and then inside the parentheses you'd pass in your variables. And generally that is positional. So like the first one has to be the first one and the second one has to be the second one, but yeah. Uh, a lot of you know but if you don't like that you can just pass in a single object or you can just grab any incoming parameters with like i think it's uh call e arg v or something like that so you can get an array of arguments um you know it's i don't know it's just it's fine you know and it's very it's it's perhaps not as readable um but for that it's really only a problem when you have like lots of parameters mm-hmm if you only have like one or two parameters, it's not exactly hard to remember. Anyway, whatever. It's a syntax, it's a syntax thing and <laughs> yeah. people can fight about syntax things all day long. Um, but so that's not really the point. There, there, there's just all sorts of things about the syntax that make it difficult for someone coming from another language to learn. Like, like pound symbols, not a comment, for example. And uh, they mix in. It's just, it's really hard to read. Yeah. And actually when um, back, I guess probably about this time last year when I was having the problems with my vision, it was getting worse and what have you. And we didn't think things were going to go so well. I figured, I figured it would probably be a good idea to start learning some programming languages that weren't so web-based in case I did end up losing my eyesight. I could still work. Right. And Objective-C was one of the ones I looked into just, just because of the popularity of the iOS platform. And I, I bought a book on it and I went through I probably got through about three or four chapters and yeah, I had, I had the same experience, which is like, this is just too much. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it is what it is. And, <clears throat> but so the, the thing is the, the Stanford videos are great because the teacher kind of like, you know, it's like a live class. So these, you know, there's some questions and he's very, um, uh, he, he's actually a dude. The guy's name is Paul something. Uh, I'm sure he's famous. Uh, he he, wor he worked with Steve Jobs like from the very beginning. He was at Next Computers. The guy knows his stuff, and he gives you little bits of history about why something will be you know why is it a .m file even though it's a, why isn't it .i if it's an implementation file and and you know why why are there um, why do you put parentheses around uh, this and not that and et cetera et cetera. It's it, it like that helped me. Like, I can't learn a language that I, I can't just, like, copy and paste code and, and like, oh, it worked or, oh, it didn't work, you know? Yeah, you have, you have to understand why it's doing something. Right, yeah. So, and it, it, this the courses are great because he covers that stuff and it does start to make some sense and you can start to map uh, your, you can map things in Objective-C to stuff you already know where before it was just, like, magic spells, you know, yeah. just repeat this incantation and the app will run. Yeah. And one of the things that uh, um, I thought really cleared things up for me was a big one, real, just drove me crazy, was the the fact that you had to have an implementation, you know, have a header file and an implementation file and they had to be separate. And I don't know why, I, that just, I got so hung up on that. It drove me crazy. I was like, why can't you just put this all in the same file? Yeah. <laughs> so annoying. And, and he, uh, he um, points out that the header file, obviously it could be one file, but he, he describes the header file as the public API for your implementation. And it's really, it, it really, I guess, I, the compiler could probably do anything you wanted it to, but it was, uh, I guess, some early decision, probably from, better, probably from C, that the public stuff goes in one file and the private stuff goes in another file and those two things shall never meet. And I can kind of, if I, if I really believed in having private methods, which I don't, uh, then I, 
you know, I can see that. It makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So uh, other other things that were pretty amazing about uh, the experience were just Xcode itself is totally unreal. It's uh, There's a new feature called Storyboards, which is kind of like, it's kind of like uh, an amazing uh, WYSIWYG area that allows you to um, drag in views for every screen of your app and then like drag and drop to link them together. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing, actually. Yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, I mean, before Interface Builder, before it was integrated into Xcode, had like a screen-by-screen screen thing where you could, um, you know, you'd throw fields on a screen, buttons on a screen. and Yeah. But you never got a view of everything and how it linked together. <clears throat> and it was really, it was a real mental exercise to keep it straight. So it, it seems clear that they're... Um, you know, catering to more of a design mentality, a, a visual designer type mentality and put yeah. everything into the storyboard, which I found much, much easier. And literally in, in 40 minutes, maybe, you know, 30 or 40 minutes, put together a working um, uh, sort of uh, prototype of Kilo. So mm. just a very simple um, uh, uh, navigation it's actually called UI navigation controller. It's like that, that paradigm where you have like a, a list of items. You tap on one, it, the new view slides in from the right. Right. Tap on something, slides in from the right. Tap on something, you know, a form pops up. So very simple drill down, you know, iTunes style application. Um, but you know, it starts off with a login form and it has a new entry form and uh, edit entries and all that stuff. And it really it took me no time. It was it was very simple. Yeah, we sh we should do something with Kilo. I, I redid the API a while ago, and I don't know if we ever did anything with it. Yeah, no, no, I'm still using the old one. So we definitely should do that. So I was thinking, well, what I really want to do is make um, is add to the stable of Avalio clients by having a native app. Mm, yeah. Just because you can, you know. Yeah. So anyway, so I was like, I was like, damn, I. I gotta, I gotta give props to the, you know, to Apple and Xcode and the, the inline documentation is amazing. It, it compiles the code live on the fly as you, as your keystrokes are, nice. are going. So you, you see inline errors like in real time. It's very responsive. Mm -hmm. It's, it's really amazing. Cool. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't taken a serious look at Xcode because, oh, back when I was starting to dabble with it again, I, you know, I, I couldn't really see what I was doing and I found the interface to be not the most customizable in terms of making it visually accessible. Oh yeah. The icons so, are wicked small. It's like, yeah. there's tons of stuff on the screen. And in fact, that's one of the big, one of the big bonuses of watching the Stanford videos is the guy spends like half of every lecture doing a demo and just watching him drive the interface is incredibly helpful. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've been like, wow, where did that, I closed a panel and now <laughs> I can't find it. Yeah. Where was that icon again? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it was called, so I can't yeah. find it in the menus. And so, but so the, the thing is, I spent so much time working on it. And believe me, dear listener, I'm not about to turn into a native iOS programmer by any stretch. Cause I, and there's, I think, some good reasons for that. But it was interesting going through the process of, of you know, fairly getting up to speed with it and building some actual apps. I, my my overall takeaway is that Xcode makes it possible to write really, really complicated apps for iOS, but it makes it, it's way too hard to use it to write simple ones. It's terrible at simple stuff. So, and this could be just me not knowing my way around, but I shouldn't need to know my way around that much to build a simple application. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, for, so for example, um, you know, I created a little login form and, and, and it was just a prototype. It wasn't tied, linked to any data. So you could just click through the login button and like go to subsequent screens without it actually, you know, it was all static data. So testing it, it's like, wow, that took me no time at all. It was really easy. So now I'm going to wire it up to some, some data, do like a core data model and, and, uh, and link that to like, all I wanted to do is like point it at a, a rest, you know, a JSON API that already exists. Uh, sorry, a REST API that returns JSON, and and uh, so okay, so let's do that. I go in and and I type, I tap on the username field to type in my name. I type it in, 
and there's no there's no way to like close the keyboard like i tap on the background i try and blur focus from the field mm. there's no way to do it you actually have to write code to 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 respond to like a touch on the background image to blur focus so like that's that's just a like one teeny example yeah. of like something why? <laughs> yeah you get like obviously i want to close the keyboard if i'm tapping outside of the field so that's one thing another thing that and you know and that's something that you get for free with a web app because the browser knows that the browser's programmed to do that yeah. so another thing was that um on this particular view it was you know it fit in one phone size screen so but when you tap into the field the uh, keyboard pops up and you lose half your screen real estate and in most applications the the focus will like the focused element will like Move zoom up in so it's above the keyboard yeah doesn't happen yeah that doesn't happen here so you have to you ha I haven't fixed this yet I'm I, assuming I have to put it in a scroll view explicitly put it put it in a scroll view to to move it up so that the you know you can get around underneath the keyboard yeah so just two two examples of like um you know on the one hand ios makes it really easy to do stuff that would be incredibly hard like the setting up the navigation controller drill down hierarchy which i i've done with javascript i know how hard it is to write um it, it's ridiculously easy but then but then it's like they almost drop the i feel it's like they drop the ball when it comes to doing something stupid like obviously the keyboard should close why wouldn't i want the keyboard to close or why isn't it just a checkbox you know yeah why do i have to write code in two different files and and attach like a million outlets to you know all these different functions to close the damn keyboard yeah yeah they've they've made it made it possible to do some really complicated things but then some of the some of the the very simple and very common user interactions are just kind of not there right and you so, know there there may be libraries you can import or something for that i don't know but, but, but yeah, just common. yeah i'm sure there are um so you know I, I'm, and I'm, believe me i'm really not bashing xcode i'm just trying to point out that there's like they're really heavily invested in a particular um view of the universe you know mm -hmm. a paradigm that you know it's not it's a you know the way ios apps work is brilliant and elegant and you know amazingly intuitive and it totally changed turn the uh uh turn the smartphone industry upside down i mean now apple is apple is the leader they didn't even make phones five years ago yeah so it's amazing but it's not the you know it's not the only way to look at things and i think that you know switching into strategy mode if you are a if you are like a, a large organization or even a developer deciding what what language to learn i still you know i'm still not a fan of um of hitching my cor cor cart to objective c for the same reasons i've said in the past which are that you know it's it's uh there's a high learning curve it's um you're limiting your market severely your your uh, distribution through the app store is uh, fraught with a variety of difficulties uh, there are all sorts of issues with it um that you know i i still agree you know after going through uh a week or so of doing the development on you know ios and being actually very impressed by it more impressed than i was the last time i looked at it i still think that um you, uh, from a strategic standpoint the your first experience should be your web experience and that experience should be great on mobile and desktop and everywhere else and then if you end up making a native um, iOS client, then fine. But that should be a step two once you get uh, all your backend infrastructure set up and um, uh, and have you know have your sort of user interface worked out more or less. And you can just go in and crank out a um, a native app if you want that reuses probably a lot of your uh, graphic assets from the web version um, potentially and. And also any backend APIs that you created for the web version. Oh, and yeah. so here's the thing that there's like no good way. Maybe I just didn't find it yet, but there's no way to like easily consume uh, an API. 
that seems very strange to me. Yeah, like I had to Google around for a, just like some dude posted a JSON parsing library on on GitHub. Wow. Like as far as I could find, Xcode knows basically doesn't know anything about JSON. So it's, like, it's it's meant for dealing with Objective C and and Objective C alone. It sounds like. Yeah, which is to Apple totally Apple thought. Yeah. Apple thought style is like Apple thought style is not cloud. It's it's Apple thought style is. Uh, sell hardware and the way we're going to sell hardware is by putting gorgeous looking apps on these gorgeous looking devices you know they're like the supermodel of phones right <laughs> and they you know they look great but it's like a lot of the stuff like the, when you look at the amount of effort and and work that went into creating like a tab view controller and a, uh, a UI navigation controller, all of that stuff. It's purely, it is purely visual. There's no inherent functionality there. It's purely like in the navigation controller, it's purely that like slide left and the title and the first and the incoming page or the outgoing page becomes the back button. And, and it's amazing how much work went into that, but there's no JSON parser, <laughs> you know? Like yeah, yeah. It's like you can you can tell that the priorities definitely lie in uh, the aesthetics. Yes. Yes, and it's I mean it's all it's marketing. Yeah, and they you know they nailed it. Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, that's that's not not to bash Apple. It's just it's just a different set of priorities, and for them, you know, it, it works. But I agree, if you're if you're looking to build. <clears throat> I guess get into you know, something something on a smartphone, um, a solid a solid mobile web experience, or even something like a PhoneGap application. It's going to be you can have a lot more consistency across platforms, and it's going to be a lot more cost effective to to develop. Yep. Yeah, and if you and if it's uh, and if you want to spend the money to develop native apps for every mobile platform, fine. I don't care. Yeah, it's just going to be really expensive and uh, and difficult, but you know if it, if it makes sense, it it still could have a beneficial ROI for you. So if that makes sense, go ahead. Like Facebook, they just did. Uh, yeah. they just replaced their their PhoneGap style application with a native app on iOS. And to tell you the truth, I don't think it's really. I mean, whatever. I don't, I don't think it's. I, I think their mobile web site is amazing, and the native app is a little bit nicer. So. You know, but the thing is, like, the, the thing that bugs me about that is companies are looking at that like, oh, see, H, you know, HTML5 can't compete. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, that made sense. It, I'm not anti-native apps at all, as long yeah. as it's not the only thing, as long as it's not the only thing you're releasing. So Facebook isn't, it's not the only thing they release. They have like a half a dozen different clients, if maybe a dozens of different clients uh, on every kind of device you can imagine, they're integrated all over the place. They're a young company that was built, you know, is is was built for the web and is reorganizing itself around mobile as the number one priority. So, if a company comes to me and looking for advice, and they say, you know, our backend systems are all in order, we are organizing our entire company around mobile, and you know, and that is the future. We're just going to be all about mobile. Then fine, go build a bunch of native. Then I would be like, yeah, okay. Yeah, you you you're going to benefit from native apps, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't also have a good mobile web experience. Right, exactly. And when I get, so what what bothers me is that companies will that are not organizing themselves around mobile and just are, are basically, you know, they want to act like they're like, oh, Facebook did this, so so that's what we should do. And it's like you have absolutely nothing in common with Facebook <laughs> from top to bottom. So why would you, you know? Why would you do that? Why would you, you know, but they want, everybody wants to build an iOS app. It's, it's yeah. like, so they want to jump straight to that and be like, check, check that box. We have an iPhone app. Yeah. And I guess part of, part of it is, you know, obviously, <clears throat> uh, obviously I'm sure, I'm sure, especially in, in their mind, in a lot of cases, it's not about technical capability so much as it is a, you know, it is a marketing thing. It's it's wanting wanting to sort of relate yourself or group yourself into that same category as these, you know, beautifully designed, elegant, high end Apple things. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you want to associate yourself with like the supermodel. Yeah. So, yeah, I get the motivation, but it's a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a mistake, but it's the only thing you do. Right. Yeah, like my quote, like the thing I always say to people when I give a talk, you'd want to leave them with like some kind of advice because there's so many things to, there's, it's like so confusing. There's so many moving parts. It's like, well, you get to the end of a, a talk and your head spinning. You're like, yeah, okay, well, but what do I do? Like, how do I decide what to do? And what I always tell people is if you can build your app with HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, then you should. And I, and I fully mean the converse of that as well, which is if you can't, you shouldn't. Right. So, and there are a couple of reasons why you might not be able to. One, because the experience that you're trying to deliver just doesn't work in a web browser, like with the video application that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Or you don't have the talent to, um, to. So one is HTML is not up to it. Two is you're not up to it because you're you're just not a web developer. And you might as if you're just going to learn one thing, then it's just as easy to it, just as easy to learn Xcode or, or all that as it is to learn. Uh, Objective C if you're starting from scratch. So, you know, it, that's just a personal choice. I would recommend web, but whatever. And uh, and the other thing I th- is, I guess, a little bit subjective, which is that the design sometimes just is not, it's just not reasonable. Like the, the so like the experience that you want to deliver, I guess this is the same as HTML is not up to it, but um, I see a lot of applications that are kind of clunky HTML or mobile web applications that are kind of clunky. And we talk about this every week. It's because they're written poorly and, and they're pulling in so much JavaScript, either from third parties or, or, uh, in house in order to deliver an experience, a design or a user experience that is, is too complicated. And not even, not in a good. I'm not saying like complicated under the hood and it does amazing things. It's just got too much going on. Yeah. So like it's it's just a bad design. And I would I would argue actually that Facebook is always flirting with this. I think the Facebook at I think Facebook in general tries to do too much. Yeah, I agree. But uh, they're but they they're right on the line. In my opinion. Yeah, they've they've almost got too much going on. And in fact, when I when I use Facebook, the only thing I really care about is that that center five hundred pixels or whatever it is. Yeah, totally, right. But that's not that doesn't work for them. Like they don't they want to keep like pushing into new territory. And you know, how many years will it be before we start saying that Facebook's the new <laughs> Microsoft? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I found that JavaScript library. Oh, what's it called? Uh, Inquire JS. E N or I N? E N. Cool. Cool. Definitely link to that in the show notes. Yeah, there's an article about it on uh, uh, on CSS tricks. Mm. Cool beans. So to pull the Xcode conversation even back more back to our more backerer <laughs> to our uh, central premise. Um, of app, you know writing apps that run everywhere, I, th- I I'm thinking about it right. So I'm, I'm, it's like ho- totally going through my mind, and I'm and I'm like, this is really like Coco Touch and Coco and the whole UI kit, the whole thing, Xcode. It's all super monolithic. It's like uh, it's like the Photoshop of code. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. it does all these things, and and I got to thinking like I. Th- I don't know. Like when I think of the apps that I use regularly, even once a month, very few of them are like that anymore. It's like, it's like QuickBooks and uh, OmniGraffle. Yeah. And like Xcode's by far the most complicated app I have on my machine. Yeah. And and but I use tons of apps all the time. You know, I'm I'm like, and, but they're all like very. I see it as the, them as like little Unixy type of applications that do one thing, but they all work with each other. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like that's the, you know, that's going to be more. The future is going to be more like uh, ifttt if that then this dot com. Then it's going to be like Xcode. Yeah, you know, it's going to be about making connections between 
um, very lightweight apps that are running on all sorts of different devices. So like before when I was talking about, you know, like, like Apple being all in on a particular UI paradigm, well, that is like rectangular touchscreens. And, and that is just going to be a teeny, like how, how do you, does anybody think there's going to be like, you know, Xcode is going to be able to compile down for a hammer or like, yeah. a, no, it's, of course it's not. So I, I don't know. I just think like, uh, I suppose this has been, people have been saying this computer scientists have been saying this since the seventies, like ubiquitous computing, but it's the, the prices are here. Like the price to put a sensor and a hammer is to the point yeah. where you can do it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and so like, what, what's the user interface? Like, what are the, I think the big shift that we're going to see in the next couple of years is input output devices. Yeah. So like everything's going to have an input sensor and the outputs right now, everybody just like thinks of the output being, you know, a little glowing rectangle, uh, or maybe even a big glowing rectangle, but it's going to be, you know, what happens when the output is a robot, the output, the output, um, uh, peripheral. You know, we're going to have 3D printers, robots, uh, limbs, you know, just yeah. pico project, you know, projectors. I don't know about, I, I don't know about, I'm super futuristic. I, I see no progress in the 3D projection space. No, I don't, I don't think so. Um, but all these other things are happening. I'm seeing, I'm, you know, seeing like very, I saw a robot playing Angry Birds the other day, like nailing it. Like you could program, <laughs> you could program the robot to hover over an iPad and win Angry Birds every time. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I found a really cool, speaking of, speaking of devices, but it's very, very, very different and, and awesome sort of user input methods. I found a, stumbled across a, a cool one hmm. yesterday yeah. and it, it is, um, it's smart carpet. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It uses, <clears throat> uses fiber optics and pressure sensors in the carpet. And the idea, I guess the idea is like it can detect, like you put it in, like say you put it in like your grandma's house and if your grandma falls down, your carpet sends you a text message because it can detect, oh, grandma fell down. Or, you know, suddenly grandpa is, is walking along and he's, he's favoring his left leg a little. So it says, oh, you know, grandpa may want to get that checked. Yeah kind of thing and and then over time i guess over time it learns sort of your 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 pattern and your gait and so it can also do things like oh there's a you know there's a stranger in the house or nice and you know that can also like oh there's been this chemical spilled on me kind of thing <laughs> yeah oddly enough uh George, one of our dogs george must have a bladder infection or something he just, like <laughs> totally peed all over the so maybe it has a dog pee detector. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's gonna happen. It's it's happening. All that stuff is just so cool. Um, uh, it's like it, so. The thing is, like, is Apple gonna make eye carpet? You know? Yeah. Because if they don't, then they're not gonna make. They're not gonna update Xcode for carpet apps, and they're not gonna update Xcode for. They're probably not even gonna update you know, for, for car radio apps or car stereo apps or, you know, so it's like, that's eventually what's I, the way I see it is that, um, just to get back to a little Apple bashing <laughs> <laughs> is that, uh, what's going to happen if you, is like right now, people don't have tons of uh, devices. So it's I think fairly likely, or it's as likely now as it's ever going to be that you'll have, uh, iOS users who only use iOS devices or Mac Macs and iOS devices. But as, as people start having more and more devices and types of devices, so Android obviously is one, you know, the fire tablet mm -hmm. is supposed to be probably, uh, this week announced t tomorrow, I think is the Amazon announcement. Everyone's saying they're going to announce a a uh, full-size tablet and is it a competitor to the google nexus um nexus 7 the nexus 7 well i think the regular kindle fire i would put in competition with the nexus 7 no 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 <laughs> no <laughs> i oh. think that i think the nexus well 
I mean, I guess technically, but I think the Nexus 7, I, I, the Kindle Fire, I don't think really holds a candle to a Nexus 7. Oh, no, yeah, no argument there, but they are competitors. Yeah. Right. Yeah, the 7-inch tablet space. Yeah. So, the yeah, I mean, like, the, the, the Fire doesn't even have a camera. You know, it's like, so the, the um, but anyway, so I think they're tomorrow, or I think it is tomorrow, we'll see up, uh, upgrades to the 7-inch and possibly uh, a 10-inch as well. I'd be a little bit surprised if they do announce a 10 inch, but I'll bet you they do upgrade the hardware on the seven inch. Yeah. So, um, anyway, the point is that, uh, you know, Amazon says that, uh, or, or some, I don't know who, but I saw a statistic that, uh, the fire accounts for one in five tablets worldwide right now, which is fairly impressive considering how popular the iPad is. Yeah. And you know, they're never, Apple's never gonna, Apple's never going to do anything to make it easy or even possible to run iPhone apps on a Kindle Fire. Yeah. They're never going to do it. And yeah. they're never going to, you know, and as so the point is, as people get more and more of these devices, for whatever reason, whether it's cost or convenience, you know, Apple doesn't offer a form factor that they want or, a, you know, whatever, then those, it's, it creates a break between your Apple devices and your other devices mm-hmm. where they can't communicate. And, you know, and it, like iCloud's a perfect example of this. Like until they release um, API, you know, web service access to iCloud for other devices, I, it's not, to me, it's not, it's not a cloud solution. You know what I mean? Right. It's no, it's, like, a, it's an Apple solution. It's an Apple solution, right? Yeah. And actually, you know, to be honest, that, that new iPad 3 that I've got, yeah. Uh, other than testing websites, I, I haven't used it. Yeah. I haven't used it once. Hmm. And, well, pretty much, actually, I guess, actually, the Nexus 7 has kind of become my go-to tablet for everything. Cool. So, I just, I love it. But, yeah, the the iPad, iPad 3, it's a, it's beautiful, beautiful display, and it's just, I, I, I and I like having the iPhone it's funny because I like having the iPhone over an Android phone, mm-hmm. but when it comes to the tablet, I prefer the Android platform. Oh yeah. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's because with the phone, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of built-in sort of simplicity with iOS, in terms of the simplicity of interface, simplicity of you know, ease of use. Yeah. And you know, stuff just works. And I guess on a on a smaller device like a phone, and. You know, really, all I'm doing with it is, is phone type stuff, managing contacts, that kind of thing. I, I just I, I prefer the iOS interface, but when I sit down to use a tablet, I typically want to do more. Right. And I mean, there's there's all kinds of apps in the App Store for doing more, but with the Android, I can do I can do a lot more in terms of sort of customizing the whole experience. Oh yeah. Not just installing an app to do X. Right. Absolutely. I mean, it's 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 the different business models. Like, out you like don't forget, Apple is like is like in the same category as Dell. Basically, they're an old school computer manufacturing company. Yeah, that's their roots, and they were never. I mean, they're obviously they make software, but it's to sell their hardware. Like that's where they get that's the profit mm-hmm. is selling the hardware. So they're never going to do something that uh, devalues their hardware. Like this, you know, they, they, when Jobs was gone, they briefly flirted with licensing the OS, and that was widely hailed as a disaster and something that they stopped. Yeah, because once, once they license the OS and you can install the OS on different hardware, there's no motivation to buy their hardware. Right. So, so they understand that the apps are what sells the hardware and the hardware is where they make their money. So they're not going to ever open themselves up to other platforms without well who knows what will happen but but it seems highly unlikely that they would ever do that yeah then you look at someone like google who sells advertising so for them they just want to get everybody and their brother online all day i mean hell they (laughs) they made they made self-driving cars so people can browse the web on their commute yeah and and they have they're an internet provider in some places too aren't they that's true yeah yeah was it phoenix or something think so i don't know if that's ever gotten beyond testing hmm. i i believe it's rolling out i remember yeah I remember being that's close. right i yeah i signed up for it 
signed up to be notified about it a while back. Mm. And it was available in my area, so I expect in another 16 years or so I'll be able to get it because <laughs> that's how things are here. Yeah, be quicker to move. Yeah. Uh, and then you look at Amazon, another of the four horsemen of the Internet. Um, their business model is selling goods, right, and, and in mm-hmm. large part electronic goods. So, you know, they're giving away – they're basically giving away the Kindle at – they're selling it at a loss and I I'm willing to bet that the bottom of the line Kindle, the cheapest at the the lowest one, I think it's seventy nine dollars now. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if that was free. They're gonna make that free at some point with like like free for prime members or something like that. Yeah, sign up for Amazon Prime, get a free Kindle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's I mean, that's because that the business model's driving it in that direction because they don't want to make money off the hardware. They're like, I think Bezos's quote is a premium experience without the cost. Yeah. And uh and it shows in everything that they're doing. So, you know, I don't I don't see how um you know, when you're picking a I guess I guess the concept here is like if you're picking a career, right? So if you know, everybody's going back to school and if you're deciding like where to go, it's so tempting to just sort of fall into the Apple realm of things. But, you know, because it's like, it feels like a, a fixed environment. It's like a, you know, it's a country club. You have like yeah. this, um, uh, you know, you basically have a fixed canvas, more or less. You've got this like small, relatively small number of devices, rel- you know, relatively low level of fragmentation. You can just make pixel perfect stuff relatively easy thanks to the tools that they have that make stuff for their things. And But, and it's, you know, and it's fine if uh, if that's what you're into, as long as you're aware of the fact that you're just you know you're you're thrown in with a very small segment of a much huger overall market that I think is much. I think the overall market and the, the connect ubiquitous computing and connected devices and Internet of Things. I think that is to me that's where all the excitement is. That's the fun thing. Yeah. So I don't know. I'd rather see people. I mean, obviously, everybody's different, but it drives me a little bit nuts when I see web developers jumping on the iOS bandwagon just because it's abandoning the web for iOS. Yeah, I mean, that's just yeah, that's bonkers. So yeah, we had sent a whole bunch of kids off to college uh, down the our campsite down uh, that we go to in the in the summer on the weekends. It's down in uh, Plymouth, Mass. Mm -hmm. There's tons of kids of all. I mean, really, there's people of all ages from newborns to like 90 and everybody knows everybody from forever and uh, a whole bunch of them went off to college this year which is <laughs> crazy because i can remember before most of them even had like could drive i still can't believe they can drive and they're going to college it's like yeah God, it's crazy. so freaking old yeah well i know my my 40 year old husband just went back to college so <laughs> for uh, you know, he's gonna learn objective c right <laughs> no python python right now he's yeah right now he's doing python how's that going uh it's going good he likes it very cool how's kira doing with it uh she's doing good we haven't got a chance to do as much with it as we would have liked uh so far just because we've been so busy but i think we're gonna do some more this evening oh cool so i mean i've, I've caught her like tinkering around with it a couple of times <laughs> under the covers with a flashlight <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> no she's actually she's actually really good i don't think it has dawned her dawned on her yet that that there's a laptop in her bedroom and she could like after bedtime she could get back up and turn it on <laughs> and use it i don't think that's she hasn't realized that that's a that's a possible thing yet she just kind of turns it off and goes to bed <laughs> so <laughs> i'd give it about another you know two or three years or so and then i'll just start locking down the wi-fi at night Nice. <laughs> and as we all know, a device that is not connected is useless. Yes. <laughs> so that's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we hope to have you next week on the Niche Podcast. Bye. Bye. Bye.